Hello, Biomes families. For those of you who are not familiar with the voice that you're hearing right now, my name is Katie Keller, and I'm the lead teacher in Rainforest Studio. I've been blessed to have been at Community Montessori for about six years now, and during that time, I've had lots of experiences, both as a teacher and as a human being, Um, some really great, some really scary and challenging, and I really have to say that as I sit here in my two-bedroom apartment, admittedly still in my pajamas with two very lazy cats, that teaching online during a lockdown, during a global pandemic, has got to be the experience that really takes the cake of the past six years. Um, I gotta say, I don't know about you guys, but this is hard to do. I know that's an obvious thing to state, but sometimes the obvious just needs to be stated, right? And I think it's safe to say that this is one of the hardest things many of us have ever had to do. And it's hard in ways that perhaps we didn't quite grasp or imagine when it was announced that we would be completing e-learning for the rest of the school year. And I don't just mean just mean it's hard for us adults. We know it's hard on our children. You see that every day as their parent during this time. And, you know, as a school community, we've also been impacted by this. You know, I'm sitting here looking out the window right now and the trees are finally green again and some flowers are growing. The sky's really blue and the weather is gorgeous and there's springtime, right? So there's like this this time of a renewal of energy and normally during this time we'd be at school and the children would be playing outside a lot more and we'd be getting ready for our spring celebration performances or we'd be going on going out trips we'd have community dinners and brunches or studio gatherings and if you think all the way up to our building and through our building with our teens you know they would be getting ready for prom and graduation, major rites of passage in our culture. And all of that isn't a possibility right now because of COVID-19 and social distancing and what we need to do. And life just had different plans for us. But I think it's safe to say that for all of us, our children and ourselves as adults like there's this feeling of a collective grief about that so it's not just the big things either it's also the small things like going to the store now is such a bizarre event to have to do and it's the thing it feels like an event um it it kind of everything we're doing right now with social distancing it feels so much harder because by nature we're social creatures right? So this new normal we find ourselves in feels like anything but normal. But here we are, you know, and we have to remember some of the things that are still good and that are still constant and true. And one of the things that I know to be constant and true is that your love for your child has not changed, will never change, and the love that the staff at this school feel for your child also 
has not changed, will not change, right? Throughout our meetings with you and your child over the past few weeks with e-learning, it's abundantly clear from your questions and your thoughtful routines at home that you're doing the very best you can to provide for your child a culture of learning at home. So I'm going to I'm going to repeat that again because I think it's important for you to really hear it from someone at our school. It's abundantly clear to us that you are all doing the best you can. So if someone hasn't said that to you recently, I'm saying it to you now. I think it's really important for you to hold on to that and to hear that. As parents, you know, you are in a position now where you are juggling multiple jobs. So the job that never goes away is being a parent. So that's one. Some of you are now teachers with homeschooling. So that's another one. And some of you are either working from home with your regular job or you're still an essential worker and you're going out every day and performing your job and then coming home and trying to show up for your family in the way that they need you to. Some of you also might be facing hardships right now because of being in lockdown, you know? And the thing is, being a parent being a teacher, and then having a job outside of that, those are all three separate jobs with three separate goals and different responsibilities. So on paper, you're being asked to do these things, right? But that's too much for any one person to do. That's why they're all separate jobs with separate goals. So what we're going to focus on in this podcast today is not how to do those three things well or perfectly because that's impossible to do and that lies outside of the scope of my knowledge to begin with. So we're going to focus on the one role that is the most important for you and will always be the most important for you. And that's being a parent, but with the caveat of being a parent in the time of a crisis. More specifically, being a Montessori parent during a time of crisis. And I've said to many of our families over the past several weeks who, during some really vulnerable moments with us, they've expressed feelings of frustration or being overwhelmed. And you're you're trying to be in so many different places at once that if you have to choose between getting assignments done and trying to be a teacher... Or showing up for your child authentically as their parent. Well, there's no choice to be made there, right? You always choose being the parent. Always. Everything else is going to work itself out and it's going to be okay. So when in doubt, always choose being a parent. So... The support that I'm offering today, just some of the insights, first of all, let me say is based on pulling together lots of resources and different podcasts from other people who are really great, and I'll list them for you um, underneath the button where you find this podcast on our webpage. Um, I've kind of pulled all this together and tried to synthesize it and translate it into some Montessori language for you. So... What I'm going to offer you today might not be an approach that you've given much thought to, but it really is what I think to be 
the first and most essential step to supporting your child's learning at home during a pandemic. So here's, here's what it is. In order to show up for your child authentically and to be able to give them what they need right now, you need to first look inward and give to yourself. So I know that that might be going against every instinct you might be having right now. I know that it might not be what you were expecting to hear, but just hang with me, right? I want you to fight against every thought that's flooding your mind, right? The moment that in our culture, the moment that someone says self-care or taking time to yourself or loving yourself, those are kind of buzzwords that we hear a lot, right? But I think that they're important and I really think it's something that should not be overlooked. As adults, oftentimes we learn habits of putting ourselves on the back burner and not showing up for ourselves, but showing up for everyone else. And what we're going to do today is talk about why it's important to practice what Montessori calls the spiritual preparation of the adult. And I promise you that there, what we're going to be talking about is very important, not just for a prepared environment at home. It's something that we do in our studios. It's something that happens sometimes multiple times a day throughout the day for the adult. And if it weren't important, Montessori wouldn't have spent so much of her theory talking about it. So let's talk about that. What is spiritual preparation of the adult? Why does it matter? So, in an article from Montessori Services, written by Irene Baker, she states, Montessori described how teachers must systematically study themselves in order to, quote, from Montessori, tear out their most deeply rooted defects, those in which impede their relationship with children. So, that's from The Secret of Childhood. Teachers perform the thoughtful internal work of rooting out unhelpful habits and attitudes, so what Montessori called defects, in order to be able to fully support children as they construct their intellect and personality. It's important to study our values, beliefs, habits, strengths, and weaknesses as part of the spiritual preparation. So that's a lot. So you might be thinking, well, that's all fine and dandy for their teachers, but I don't know how to do that as a parent. I don't even know where to begin. Well, remember, you were your child's first teacher. You're, you're still a teacher to them in a way. They look to you to learn about the world from the moment they were born. You know, before this pandemic hit, your child was at school with two very caring adults for the majority of the day, and now your child is with you or another adult in your family all day. So I think it's safe to say that spiritual preparation is incredibly relevant to you, not just now, but in the future too, when, when this all subsides. So I promise you that like anything else, the more you practice going inward, it's going to become like a reflex. You'll get better at it and you'll be able to show up for your child in a more authentic way. And you'll also be able to model this for them, which is great. So let's do some spiritual preparation together and let's kind of take a wider view 
of what's going on as a collective right now. So there's a theoretical model created by Zunin and Myers in California called the Phases of Disaster Response. And this resource was cited by Letty Rising and Elizabeth Slade from Trillion Montessori. And this article that I'm referencing is also going to be available for you to click on and look at at your own time, right? But I'm just going to kind of summarize it here. So in this model, there are six phases of this disaster response. So we have a pre-disaster phase where there's a warning or a threat. So if you look at our COVID-19 timeline, think back to months ago where we first hear about this happening in China and then traveling through Europe. That would kind of be our, our pre-disaster phase. It hasn't hit the, it hasn't hit the U.S. yet, but we, we see it on the horizon. Then you have the impact phase. So that's when COVID-19 arrived in the States. And then you have the heroic phase. That was our response to the disaster and arrival of COVID-19, right? So governors creating plans and guidelines for their states, businesses closing, schools moving on online and creating e-learning plans, all that. Um, and we had this, this adrenaline surge during that time, right? Like, okay, we got this. We can do it. And then we have a honeymoon phase where we're all feeling a bit relieved that there were plans in place. We found some sort of groove with our new routine. And this was what I heard a lot of during our first couple of weekly meetings with families, right? You guys, you guys had a groove and things had kind of calmed down a little bit and your kids seemed to be enjoying the work and they were all right. And then we enter into a disillusionment phase, which we're going to flesh out here in a minute. And then the last phase is reconstruction where there's a new beginning coming to terms with a new reality and kind of working through grief. So we're kind of finding ourselves right now somewhere between disillusionment and reconstruction. So Elizabeth Slade and Letty Rising talk about this and how it appears that we've kind of arrived in a disillusionment phase over these last few weeks. So they mention that if you haven't already had this, right, they talk about how you've got this sinking feeling. This is the new reality. And now that things have slowed down and the adrenaline surge that we felt during that heroic phase has faded, what we're left with are all the feelings and emotions that we couldn't name or couldn't attend to when we were trying to get plans in place, when everybody was kind of scuttling around. So it's these feelings of disillusionment that make it necessary work to do some spiritual preparation. And someone who's spoken really beautifully about being vulnerable and sitting with really hard feelings is Brene Brown. And I think her work is needed now more than ever for us adults. So if you've not familiarized yourself with Brene Brown's work, um, we will link her podcast, which I'm going to be referencing here in a minute. We will link any website she has, any books. She has been really wonderful for a lot of us staff here at Community Montessori um, when it comes to our spiritual preparation. So She has this really great podcast called Unlocking Us, and in one of her episodes, she discusses this emotional crash that Letty Rising and Elizabeth Slade were talking about, and she says, we're seeing tired everywhere right now, right? We've hit a collective wall. Your kids have hit a wall, right? And that adrenaline surge isn't ever as long as we need it to be, right? We've got the fuel to get it done, but normal life was ripped away from us during that hectic time 
and we didn't even really notice it. There's so much mess, there's loneliness, there's overwhelm once we realize this loss of normal. And we're really not even sure if a normal like before is ever going to exist again after all of this. So this is what spiritual preparation is all about, is sitting with those emotions. Because as Brene Brown points out, emotions don't go away because we ask them to. She says if we push our emotions down, they actually double down and they fester. So the first step that you can do for some spiritual preparation, you can do this right now while while I'm talking to you, is um, just kind of take a self-inventory with where you're at right now. What have you put off regarding your own self-care? When was the last time you had, I don't know, 30 uninterrupted minutes to yourself? Can you put a percentage on where you're at? Are you at 60%, 40%, 15%? So Brene dispels this myth that healthy relationships are 50-50. And the reason that's not true is because life does not operate that way. So in every relationship, personal and professional, things happen. And more often than not, so if you think of two people, and I'll just kind of use my my co-teaching team, right? So me and Sally. One person, maybe I'm operating at 80% one day, and Sally might be operating at 20%, right? So there's still 100%, but I'm, I'm operating a little higher than Sally is. But what happens if Sally and I both show up to school and she's operating at 20% and I'm operating at 20%? What if you're a single parent and you're operating at 40%? How does the gap get covered? So Brene gives a great example of this on her podcast, but I'm going to keep going with my experience as a teacher um, and with my co-teaching team. So I'll give you a little story. So outside of COVID-19, let's just talk about something else for a minute. So I've got two cats and one of them I've had for 14 years and He's very much my fur baby. Those of you with pets, you understand that bond that I'm talking about. He's a grumpy old man. I love him nevertheless. So a few months back, he had this growth in his ear that just kept getting bigger. And I was planning on taking him to the vet um, over a weekend when I got my tax return. So it wasn't, it didn't look like it was anything serious. It didn't look like I was really bothering him a whole lot. He seemed completely unfazed by it. So I was like, okay, I'll do that when I get my tax return. So one morning I wake up and I guess this was about 2.30 in the morning and I have this wet feeling on my face and my cat had clawed so hard at that growth inside of his ear that he had detached most of it somehow and my room looked like a crime scene. It, it really did. So I was up all night trying to take care of him. I was trying to clean things. I was trying to clean myself because I had blood on my face Um I was texting my boyfriend who's working out in St. Louis pictures and I was freaking out. So I ended up taking that morning off and getting him to the vet. I was texting Sally. I was texting Barbara. I was trying to find a sub. I was in the waiting room for hours. I had to ask my boyfriend to send me money to get my cat admitted into surgery. And then I had to pull it all together and get back to work. So I get back to the studio and I kind of check in with Sally really quickly. And then she had to leave the room to go do work elsewhere in the building. And at that point, I was just trying to get through the day. 
So we get through the end of the day. The kids were amazing and fun. They were super supportive. They, they were, they were kids. They were the great kids that we all know they are. Right. And so Sally and I are sitting there after school, having our meeting and through chatting with one another, when I look back on that conversation, we were both operating at about 20%. So I was so worn out from this whole experience. And Sally had some other things going on personally that I wasn't aware of until we sat down to talk to each other that day, that she was running at about 20%. So we were trying to just, kept trying to just push through, right? There was a list of things to do, and by golly, that list was going to get done one way or another. So we were looking at our lesson plans and the events coming up, and we were trying to figure out who's going to do what, and we just kept hitting a wall. We couldn't figure out the next steps were because the two of us were both operating at 20% and there was still a 60% gap that needed to be covered because the work that we hadn't done yet was addressing our own needs first. So right now, do an inventory and figure out where you're at. What's your percentage? How are you operating right now? And once you've got your percentage, check in with your spouse, your partner, your family, and ask them what percentage are they operating at? And then you're going to create what Brene Brown calls a family gap plan. So Brene talks about these essential steps. And while I was listening, um, I think that this would be a great thing for you all to do to have a family meeting and discuss this with everybody. Because this is the way you all practice being prepared together. So here's the family gap plan. Number one, Brene says all of this in her podcast. Number one, sleep for a minimum of eight hours. Number two, move your body. It's where anxiety is stored. Go for a walk. Do some yoga in the living room. Number three, eat well. You want to avoid the emotional toll of a sugar crash. Number four, limit your news intake. She recommends choosing maybe two sources that you trust and that's all you check. Number five, no harsh words and no nice words with harsh faces. Number six, say you're sorry. Number seven, accept apologies with thank you. So when someone offers you a real apology, accept it with gratitude. And number eight, she says, have more fun, more puns, and knock-knock jokes. So when I look back on that scenario with me and Sally... We actually ended up doing a lot of this without ever having heard this podcast because Brene hadn't even created it yet, right? So we hit the wall and we were just like, we can't do it. So we ended up leaving the building and going for a drive together to go get some tea. And we just talked about anything other than what we were dealing with personally and professionally. We made some jokes together. We got a change of scenery and we just existed as two friends for about 30 minutes. And then we decided that we were just going to take care of ourselves first. I was going to catch up on some sleep. She was going to catch up on sleep. We were going to go home. We were going to cook ourselves a nice meal. We were going to do all those fundamental things. Everything that we felt like needed to be solved earlier on that long to-do list could wait until the morning. It could wait until another time if it needed to. And just kind of saying that out loud and making that plan together, that felt rejuvenating in and of itself. So naming what you're feeling, acknowledging it, validating it, 
is a huge step in spiritual preparation. Sitting with yourself as an adult and admitting, maybe you reach out on Zoom or phone call and talk to a friend about this or another family member and just say, like, this is scary. Like, this is really overwhelming for me. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm having a moment right now. And I'm tired. And just, just name what you're feeling. Because once you name it, you validate it, and then you can learn from it. You can make a plan for it. And this is really important because your feelings that you have on the inside and things that you haven't addressed as an adult, it's going to have an impact on how you interact with your child. So when Brene says, no kind words with harsh faces, right? This is something we practice as Montessorians. So children pick up on nonverbal cues a lot more than we might realize, especially when in a moment where we as adults are kind of running on fumes, right? So I want to give you an example that you can hear right now. So you can hear the difference when I say, would you please push in your chair? And please push in your chair. So you can't see my face, but when I changed my tone, my facial expression changed with it. And my eyebrows furrowed and I kind of had a head tilt. And there's a big difference. That's the same words. I'm using the same words. I said please, right? That's kind. But there's a difference. No kind words with harsh faces. And I know that on my co-teaching team that, you know, this is something I talked with Sally a lot about. I said, Sally, one of my tells is you're going you're gonna to see my hands start to gesture a little bit more. I might cross my arms. My brows are going to be furrowed. You're going to hear the tone of my voice change. And I might be saying all of the right words. But the tone of my voice is telling that child something completely different. And the tone of my voice is very telling to you that you need to come up and tell me, I got this. I'll finish talking with them. Why don't you go take a 10-minute walk and take some time to yourself? And then I know that on that 10-minute walk, I'm going to sit and I'm going to think about how I'm feeling. I'm going to work through it. And I'm going to try my best to pull it, pull it back together. And I know that at, that 10 minute, at the end of that 10 minutes, when I go back in that room, I'm going to be on. And I'm going to be on in the way that the child needs me to be. And if there's more work for me to be done, for me to do, for my spiritual preparation, that's going to be my number one priority. If I need to go home and implement my gap plan, I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk about that with my co-teacher. I'm going to say, you know what, tonight I'm not going to work on this. I was going to read this. I'm not going to work on this tonight. I'm going to go home. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to sit with my feelings, and I'm going to work through them, and I'm going to show up tomorrow and I'm going to do better. There's no shame in expressing to either yourself or a coworker or a spouse or a friend, whoever it is in your life, that you're feeling those things because there's no room for feeling shame when you're trying to give yourself empathy. And yes, you should be giving yourself empathy. Which brings me to my next bit of advice from Brene. Avoid comparative suffering. So in her podcast on comparative suffering, um, she talks about how fear and scarcity are driving a lot of our emotions right now. And we can fall into this mindset, an unhelpful mindset. It is not helpful for your spiritual preparation as an adult to start comparing your suffering to that of someone else. So 
it's almost like automatic. Like, I know I do this, right? Without thinking, we start to rank our suffering. I can't be sad about missing a graduation when there are people dying right now. But like I said earlier, emotions don't go away because we want them to. I remember, you know, when I was talking with Sally that day and she was telling me some of the personal things that were going on, I was sitting there and I was thinking, how can I be this upset about my cat? He's in surgery. He's in good hands. I've got support in my partner to pay for this financially. And Sally just has so much more going on that I could even imagine right now. I need to just let this go and move on because she's got it way worse than I do. Right? That's an example of comparative suffering. So how many of you listening have ever said something like that to yourselves before? I'm pretty sure everyone has at least once or twice. And I'm sure many of us have thought it during this whole COVID-19 pandemic. Like, how can I feel so upset and scared and when nurses are tired and haven't slept in days or, you know, I'm so lucky to be able to work from home and still have an income. Other people don't have the option and they have to take care of their kids. I need to just put my chin up and deal with being tired. It's not as bad as it could be. So in other words, what you're essentially saying to yourself is how can I give myself empathy when there are others out there who need my empathy more than I do? And I love this thing that Brene says about empathy. She says, when we think this way about empathy, like it's finite, like pizza, that's just not true. Empathy is not like pizza. It's not like if you take a slice for yourself, that means there's less for somebody else. She says it's the opposite. When we give ourselves empathy, we actually create more of it to give to others. So when you attend to your own feelings... In order to, you have to attend to your own feelings in order to attend to the feelings of others. It's like putting your own oxygen mask on first. There's enough love and empathy to go around. So you should absolutely be giving some to yourself. So the bottom line is that when we're able to show up in this way for ourselves with intention and fully and authentically, then we can be a steady support for our children and our loved ones when they're having difficulty with their emotions. We model this behavior for our children who then practice it themselves, which is a huge goal in the Montessori framework. To be able to foster in children the courage to speak up and advocate for themselves and be fully human beings with full human emotions. It's by doing this hard work of diving inwardly that we all take the first steps to being the most important part of any prepared environment for a child. You can have as many beautiful books and resources at home for your child right now. You can have tons of activities planned and a beautiful schedule posted on the refrigerator. You can have all of those great things. But the most important material for you to have in your home is a prepared adult. So how do you have a practical application of this? We're going to talk more about that in the next episode. So in episode two, we're going to take this, all this hard work we just did today, diving inward, sitting with big emotions, and we're going to address some of the common concerns that we've heard from our families um, with e-learning. So until then, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. 
I want you to thank yourself right now and extend some gratitude towards yourself because you just sat here and you showed up for yourself in a really big way. And I want to encourage you between now and the launch of the next podcast to continue building in throughout your day little pockets of joy that you can dive into for yourself. Take time for reflection. Take time for rest. And I will see you all in the next episode. Bye.